Welcome to church, everybody. What a great environment to get free, amen? And uh, I love the transparency because we've all got stuff, and that's, that's the first revelation we have to face is we all have stuff uh, that needs healed. That's part of why I'm doing this series on the nature and attributes of God because I want to be a church that acts and looks like God does. I mean, you know, we're supposed to be an embassy of heaven on earth. When people come here, they're supposed to be able to experience a little foretaste of what heaven's going to be like. Now, the real deal is going to be much better than any earthly model. But nevertheless, this should be a place where people can come and receive encouragement and love and counsel and help and be a part of a family that's imperfect, but we love Jesus. We're all moving the same direction. Uh, we can be honest with our past, honest with our mistakes and failures and sins, things done to us, things we did uh, to other people to hurt them. And how many of you know Larry got like a thousand pound boulder rolled off of his back? But Larry never would have probably gone there if it wasn't for some of our leadership men that modeled their own brokenness before the guys that are at the encounter. And guess what's going to happen this weekend? Our leadership ladies are going to model brokenness and transparency because they've all been through a lot of stuff. And so that's why we're focusing on the nature of God, not so we can go, hey, God is great and God is good. That's what we need to do that. But here's the connecting point. We want to take who God is and our knowledge of God, and we want to start acting like God. I mean, you know, the Bible says to be imitators of God. Well, how are you supposed to be an imitator of God if you don't have a clue what God's like? And then some people sit back and say, well, that's, how, that's who God is. Well, yeah, you need to know who God is because guess what? You're made in his image and likeness, which means you're supposed to act like him and look like him. And I'm supposed to act like him and look like him. This is the invitation and the journey of a lifetime is to pursue God so that we could be like him. And so, you know, week one, we said God is the great I am. Well, so what does that mean for us as a church? It means God said very clearly, I am the foundation of all reality. Nothing exists apart from me. So what does that mean for us as a church? Here's what it means, at least one thing that it means. We need to be radically God-centered. Because nothing exists apart from Him. So we're not a seeker-sensitive church. We're not a seeker-be-mean-to-you church. But the focus of our gathering is none of us. It's him. And the cool thing is, when we make him the center of our focus, he overwhelms us with who he is. And we come away going, wow. I had a young man come up and share this morning and went to the encounter who, talk about touching. Obviously, his sin caused him to blow up his marriage, estrange his kids from him, and he's still trying to get traction uh, because of his drug addiction and some other things. But this morning, after being clean for nearly a year now, after going to the encounter and being rocked by God, he's sitting back there with his three children worshiping the Lord in church today. And... Uh, And God's in the process of restoring his family. And I prayed with him up here today. He says, can we just pray for my wife? Can we just pray for my wife? And he understands that his wife's estranged because of his uh, inability to love well and care for her well. And I encouraged him. I said, you just got rocked. Be patient and let your wife see the transformation that's taking place in you. And I said, I tell you what, a joyful 
righteous, loving, selfless husband is really sexy. It's not skinny jeans, folks. It ain't just skinny jeans. And so when we make God the center, we realize he does not exist for me. I exist for him. I mean, can I just say this? There are so many Christians, because we've trained you wrong in the church today, that you think you're the reason that we're here. And it messes everything up. And please forgive us for making everything about people. People are not the center of reality. God is the center of reality. We exist to please him. He doesn't exist to please me. You know, when we sing that worship song, that God is so good all the time, all the time, you know, we were singing about that. We were rocking, right? Uh, You never let me down. You never let me down. We so pervert the meaning of that. Because listen to me. It isn't about God will never let me down, meaning he's going to make me happy and do what I want all the time. That's how most people interpret that. You're never going to let me down. And then then he lets you down, at least what you think, and then you're like, well, God ain't good. No, me, you're singing a truth. We're saying, God, it is impossible for you to ever let your people down because you cannot do that. It, it would go against being God. That's what we're really singing. It is impossible for God to fail. I am not the one that determines whether he failed or not. I'm not his teacher or instructor. He's my teacher and instructor. So when I'm asking him to do something and he doesn't do it, my approach is, Lord, teach me your ways, not attack your character. You understand the difference? The goodness of God is a reality. My job is to see it, enjoy it, and then live it. All right? So God says, I am. And I'm like, yes, you are. You're the center of everything. In fact, I'll tell you this. You cannot become a Christian until you make God the center of your life. Otherwise, you're still the center of your life, and you just ask God to bless you. And God doesn't exist for that purpose. Although he loves to bless, because that's what we talked about in week three. But how about the second week? We said God is great. In other words, God is the greatest of all beings which means he deserves our worship. So one of our core values here is that we should be engaged in passionate worship. Is that because we're Pentecostals, we're charismatics, we're, we're, you know, pew jumpers? No, although we're part of it. That's 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 part of our identity. But no, where does passion come from? Passion comes from the acknowledgement of the greatness of God. So how many of you want to go to a church that's full of passionate people? I want to be a part of a church like that. I don't want to be a bunch, bunch of deadheads. I want to be a part of a church that's full of passion. How about the last week? We said God is good. He is the best of all beings, which means this. That if God is good, meaning that out of God's heart is a desire, a natural desire to bless. It's who he is. Then how about this? We should be a church that's constantly looking for ways to bless. Who can we love? Who can we support? Who can we invest in? Who can we help? Who can we pray for? Who can we go serve? Does this make sense? It's, why are we acting this way? Because that's the way our dad is. It's the way our Heavenly Father rolls. Now, I'm going to blow your circuits, probably many of your circuits today, because I, we're going to talk about an attribute of God that I think is one of the most neglected and overlooked of all God's attributes. In fact, I never, ever heard a pastor when I was growing up ever, 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 ever preach on this. In fact, I'm going to go an extra mile. 
when I share this word with you, there are so many people in the church that have a bias against this word, like it's a non-Christian word, okay? God is the I am. God is great. God is good. And God is happy. <laughs> Some of you are going, what did he just say? What did he just say? I just said God is happy. In fact, listen to me. God is the happiest being in the universe. God is infinitely happy, perfectly happy, and always happy. I'll explain, but just trust me. But in the church, we have this bias. And sometimes people get into these things, you know, well, God's not happy. God's joyful. I just want to do an eye roll. Happiness depends on circumstances. I've heard all this. Happiness, can I just help you? Let's get out of the unnecessary sophistication. Does everybody know what it is to be happy in this room? I hope you all have experienced a burst of happiness. Let's simplify things. God is that all the time. And I'll build a case for why. God is a happy being. And here's the connection of the dots. It follows that his people should be happy as well. Well, no, I don't want to be happy. I want to be joyful. Okay, well, just be joyful. Whatever word you want. But you're a happy joyful is what you are. I'm trying to, trying to help us out. I'm trying to take the bias out of happiness as if happiness is carnal or selfish. I'm not talking about carnal, selfish happiness. I'm talking about pure, unadulterated happiness at the core of your being. That's who God is. And most of us don't see it that way. In fact, I've heard people say, you know, I've had such a bad week this week, and I, I just know God is just not happy happy with me. Can I just set you free? See, this is the problem of you being the center of your universe. God's emotional well-being is not contingent upon your week. Hallelujah! God's not even contingent upon all of our bad weeks because his happiness has nothing to do with anything outside of himself. Or he wouldn't be God. He'd be contingent upon humans. So can I just tell you, when, uh, in your worst week, you're like, oh, man, if I went to church, you know, this roof would open up and lightning would come down. Get rid of your pathetic view of God. The place you need to be when you are most depressed, discouraged, and down is in the presence of a happy God. <laughs> who loves you and loves himself to the place to where none of that's ever shaken at the core of who he is. You're saying, well, pastor, prove it. I will. Okay, and I'm happy to do it. All right. Look with me. How many of you know in the Bible, there's certain language, especially if you read the good old King James 16:11 or whatever that was translation, there's certain words that you know are spiritual, but your brain kind of glosses over because they're not and I'm not making fun of good old King James. I'm just saying that's the truth. There are certain words that are out of use. Some people say, well, Pastor, why do you preach from the NLT? Because I want people to understand what I'm saying, which is a good thing on Sunday morning. I'm trying to be happy and have some fun this morning. Lighten up, people. Come on. <laughs> there are certain words that don't mean what they used to mean. And when we read them, our, they, our brains just kind of glaze over and, and we're left, you know, some people say, well, I read the Bible and I know what I just read was really important, but I don't have a clue about what it said. Let me give you an example of that, all right? 1 Timothy 1, verse 11. Listen to this wonderful package of truth here. 
the good news of the glory. I'm sorry. The glorious gospel. I'm reading ahead. The glorious gospel of the blessed God. Glorious gospel of the blessed God. How many of you know blessed is not one of those words we use very much anymore? Like, you're out at Jewel shopping, you go by the chicken section, you go, man, that's some blessed chicken breast right there, you know? No, you don't do that. In fact, you don't even pull out the word blessed hardly ever. Blessed to you is some guy in a robe saying, I bless you, I bless you, and, that, and you're like, that doesn't really relate to my life. You know, that doesn't happen like 9 to 5. So blessed doesn't mean anything. How about gospel? We all know that. I think we all know that. What is, what is the gospel? What does that literally mean? Good news. Everybody just smile at me. You cannot preach the gospel without a smile. At least you can't do it very well. Because the gospel is, if I went up to my wife and I proposed to her, Will you marry me? She said, oh, yes. Now, some of you are going, whoa. Some of you are going, did she really act like that? I can't believe you're embellishing it. Well, whatever. She knows what she was getting right here. All right. Anyway, so I I go to her, will you marry me? And she, oh. And I said, cool. She said, why aren't you more happy? Oh, can't you tell? I am happy. That would be a disaster. Yeah, major red flag right there. Woo woo. When we're sharing good news with people and we're not happy, how about this? When we come to worship the happy God, there are people that believe happiness is irreverent. How in the world can we come and worship the happy God and not be happy? That's irreverent. That's a shame. So check this out. We got good news about the blessed God. But what does blessed mean? Can I give you a Greek lesson? The word blessed in the Greek, you ready for this? It means happy. There is another word that means blessed. But people have such a hard time with being happy that even Bible scholars had a hard time with God being happy because it seems so beneath him. But can I ask you all a question? What is one thing every single human being on planet earth shares? Can I help you with this one? It's the desire to be happy. Is this true? When you guys were running around, the Bible says doing all those stupid things in the world, living like a dog, uh, trying to, trying to, you know, what, what were you after? I'm just trying to be happy. Party scene, party scene, job, money, all this stuff you're pursuing. Why are you doing all those things? Because you want to be. In fact, anybody that doesn't know, I, I want to be depressed, man. I just want to die. I'm miserable, man. I just want to be miserable for God. No, you are sick. Nobody thinks that way. Nobody wakes up and says, I just want to be miserable today for the glory of God. No, we don't do that. Did you all, when you woke up today, was your desire to be happy? No, I'm a Christian. I want to be joyful. Now, you know what I'm talking about. This is the good news of the glory. What is, that's, how many of you know that's a good word right there, glory? How many of you have turned to your spouse recently and said, honey, You're glorious. She'd be like, what do you mean by that? Because we don't use that language. 
What is the glory of God? Check this out. It is all of God's perfect attributes in full vision at one time. It's the panorama of his greatness. When God, if God were to be able to look into a mirror, which God is not, he's a spirit, probably know he has a son, and his son could look into a mirror. But if God were to look into a mirror, he would see the reflection of his awesomeness. And you know what? God's reflection of his awesomeness makes him happy. Because God is the one being in the entire universe that can look at his self in reflection and be incredibly, overwhelmingly happy. Because he's awesome. And that's what it means to be God. Now, if my man David wakes up in the morning and goes, Whoa! Awesome! The world is blessed to have me today. He's going to have counseling, all right? He needs help. Because no human being is supposed to act that way. But does it make sense for God? Like, do you want God to have a self-image problem? No. You don't want a God like that? Do you want a God that thinks of himself and says, oh, I wish I could really improve on this area? No, that would be like a Greek pantheon fake God. No, you want a God who looks at himself and says, I am awesome all the time, awesome, good all the time. That's the kind of God you want because it's the truth. It's who he is. So God is fundamentally happy. So we're sharing good news about the amazing perfection of this incredible God who is fundamentally happy. I don't think you would want to spend eternity with a God who was not happy. It would not be a good thing. Let's go to another verse. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 15. Once again, filled with a lot of good old-fashioned language here. He, meaning God, who is the blessed and only potentate. That's a word we don't use very often. Potentate, which means sovereign. He is the king of kings, and he is the Lord of lords. Now, break this down with me. The second part of that verse says God is the only sovereign. He is absolutely large and in charge. God does not appeal to anybody else. How many of you are grateful that that's our God? That means he's big, he's strong, he's powerful. There is no authority greater than God. He's the king of all kings. He's the Lord of all lords. But how many of you know a God like that that wasn't happy would be scary? Because you would have infinite power with gloom, doom, set. What if God was a tyrant? What if God was moody? God's not moody. God's not a tyrant. God is a good God. And he is, we get back to that word, blessed again. It's the same word in the Greek. He is the infinitely powerful, and check this out, happy ruler. This is such good news. Our God is happy, and our God is in charge. God possesses, because he's sovereign, he possesses the right and the power to do whatever makes him happy. He doesn't have to report to anybody. He doesn't have to get anybody to sign off. And I want you to see this. God always acts in a way that brings him maximum joy and happiness. It's by definition of who he is. In fact, Psalm 115, verse 3, our God is in the heaven and he does whatever he pleases. Why can he do whatever he pleases? Whatever makes him. In other words, if we say, do whatever you please, What's another way we would say that today? Do whatever makes you happy. Do whatever you want. Well, guess what? God sits in the heavens, and he does whatever makes him happy. 
It is the definition of God. You're saying, Pastor, I'm still not convinced. What if we could see God with a face? What if we could see God with a body? Like if God were one of us. Wouldn't it be great if God ever came to earth and took on human flesh? Wouldn't that be awesome? Oh, wait, he did that already, didn't he? It's called Christmas. Yeah, we celebrate that. God took on human flesh. So check this out. If we could look in our Bibles and look at Jesus, we might be able to see if God was really happy. Am I raising your suspense level? I should be. I'm trying. Come on. Work with me, people. Jesus said, John 14, verse 9, he said this. Anyone who has seen me has seen and that good. Anybody that has looked into the eyes of Jesus has looked into Father God's eyes. In other words, if you know what Jesus is looking like, aren't you glad God gave his son a face with facial muscles? Most of the time we screw this up horrendously in the Bible. Because I'm, I'm trying to help you out. You will read the Bible through your lens of what you think God is like. Like, let me give you an example. How about Peter? How about when Peter got out of the boat? Anybody remember that story? Such a good story. Jesus says to Peter, or Peter says to Jesus, hey, Jesus, you know, bid me to come. You know, I'll come. He's hoping Jesus can't hear him or he's not going to take him up on the offer. Jesus says, come. Peter's going, okay. He puts his foot out of the boat, right? He starts walking. He's like, this is awesome. And then he gets his eyes off Jesus. Remember that? The way he looks at the waves. He starts thinking. Here's how most of us, because of our upbringings, picture that. Jesus, God in a bod, walks over, grabs him by the scruff of his brow, you know, drags him through the water, throws him in the boat, says, you loser. Oh, ye of little faith. You're such a loser. Loser, loser, loser. Um, go to the back of the boat with all the other losers. All you other losers. You guys didn't even get out of the boat. Where's your faith? I'm supposed to save planet Earth with you? <laughs> what was I thinking? And you know why we, you know why we think that way? Because those are the models that we've seen, imperfect human models. And guess what happens when we fail? We get beat up on. We get condemned. That's why what you saw here today with Larry sharing something real, something raw, something painful, through tears. And you, what did you all do? You didn't celebrate the sin or the brokenness. You celebrated the amazingly loving and kind and good and gracious God who welcomes sinners and heals them and restores them, turns them into new people. And we celebrated that. Let's rewind the tape. God is here revealing his glory, which is his, part of it is his happiness. Peter's, blah, 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 blah. what does Jesus do? I think he laughs and he reaches down and picks up Peter. and They probably fall into the boat. They're laying in the boat, probably Jesus laughing uncontrollably and saying, Peter, why'd you stop looking at me? The rest of you guys, what are you guys looking at? Wasn't this awesome? Look what he did. He jumped out of the boat. Hey, that's a lesson for you guys. Next time, let's all get out of the boat. Come on. I think he'd be encouraging. I think he'd be loving. I think he'd be laughing a whole lot more. You know, we just had, last Sunday was such an amazing Sunday in marriage class because we were, uh, they're all amazing, but it was so great to hear the stories of the transformation. And so much of what happened was laughter interspersed with tears. Ah, you left that meeting going, wasn't this 
rich. You know, laughter, the Bible says, is like medicine. When you're with people, you know, again, we have Jesus doing the debriefing. All right, guys, sit around here. I'm going to teach you about why that person didn't get healed, why you screwed that one up. Peter, shut your mouth. You're always putting your foot in your mouth. Get your notepad out. Let me teach you guys something. No, I'll tell you what they were doing. It's Jesus saying, hey, get the bagels out. Where's the bagels? Hold on. Bring the bagels. All right. Hey, guys, was that awesome or what? They're like, oh, Jesus, when you healed that person, when you did this, when you spoke, did you see those demons freaking out? Oh, my goodness, that was amazing. And Jesus like, I mean, why do you think they follow this guy? Because he has a taser or something like that? Are you kidding me? It's because there's a joy in following a happy, sovereign Savior. There's a joy involved. Look at what it says in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6. For God, who said, let there be light in the darkness, has made us understand that it is the brightness of his glory, his perfections, his character, his attributes that are seen in the face of Jesus Christ. To look into the face of Christ is to see God, and God is a happy God, which is why you look at the next verse. This is amazing. If I were to ask you, how do we know, though, that Jesus was happy? Well, how many of you know the Bible says Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit without measure? It means he didn't leak, all right? Infinite reservoir of Holy Ghost inside of him. How many of you know that one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit or fruits of the Holy Spirit is what? Joy, which means Jesus possessed every fruit of the Spirit in superabundance which means he was joyful. How many of you also noticed that Jesus, the Bible says Jesus was without sin? Has anybody besides me found out that sin is a big lie from the devil? It's a counterfeit happiness that only lasts for a little while and then leaves you eating sour garbage in your mouth that makes you want to vomit. Did I, did I describe that good enough? The number one destroyer of joy in our lives is sin. It starts with selfishness, but then it leads to our pursuit of all these things that we think are going to make us happy besides God. Jesus had no sin, and he was full of the Holy Spirit. I guarantee you, he was moving in maximum joy. How about this one? Turn with me. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. Speaking of Jesus prophetically here, your throne, O God, endures forever and ever. He is the only potentate. Your rule with a scepter of justice or you rule with the scepter of justice. You love justice and you hate what is evil. Therefore, O God, your God has anointed you, pouring out the oil of joy on you more than anyone else. Jesus was anointed with the oil of joy from his Father more than any human being. So if I ask you this question, who was the happiest human being to ever set foot on planet Earth? The answer is not Robin Williams. The answer is not Steve Martin or any other comedian. The answer is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Which means you've got to change your view of Jesus because he's not walking around with a scowl on his face. He's walking around with tangible, supernatural joy coming off of his spirit. You say, well, Pastor, is that always the case? Well, we're going to talk about that in just a second because we also know some other things about Jesus. But I want you to see... 
that he is so happy in and of himself because he is God and because he represents God and because he shows us what God is like, uh, that that is the fundamental trait about how he carries himself amongst us on planet Earth. Look at John 15, verse 11. Jesus said to his disciples, I told you these things so that you will be filled with, what's it say there? My joy. In other words, Jesus' supernatural joy he wants to fill us with. He said, yes, your joy will overflow. Now, can I ask you a question? If God's not happy, where's he getting the joy to give away? You can't give something you don't possess. Jesus is possessing joy that is so powerful and so much of it that it is overflowing. How I many you know that's how you know when you're full is when it overflows. Jesus and listen because God is also good, the propensity is to take the happiness and look for ways to give it away. Isn't that awesome? Look at what it says in, in the uh, CEV translation. I have told you this to make you as completely happy as I am. I love that translation. Jesus said, the reason I'm telling you these truths is because I want you to be as happy as I am. How many of you know that's a pretty high standard? I mean, just this week I was meeting with our team. I'm like, I'm preaching on God is happy, and I'm not feeling happy right now. God help me. I talked to somebody after church today who's dealing with the same thing. Listen, we are not God, and we never will be. But aren't you glad that you have a vision of a God who's calling you to share his nature and character? Which means it's possible, and it's an invitation from God himself. Are you with me? But if you never see it, you can never be it. You have to see it. And then you have to savor it and taste it for yourself. And then you can show it to a lost world. See how that works? I want you to be as happy as I am. That's what Jesus said. So let me ask you, here's a $100,000 question. Why is the church so sour? John Wesley said, a sour religion is the devil's religion. There are people in this room that came out of churches and denominations that are sour. It doesn't mean they're bad people. It doesn't mean they're going to hell. But it does mean they have a lousy view of God. And when you go to their worship services, there's nothing happy about their worship service. In fact, I've been in cultures before where the more miserable you are, the more holy you are. Those are the people who say, stop being happy. It's carnal. Be joyful instead. Like me. Some of you are laughing. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Sour religion. Sour puss religion. Religion that makes everybody want to gag. How in the world are we supposed to represent a happy God when God's people are miserable? How many times do we live under the whole duty and obligation thing? You know, we're like, oh, man, I had to be at Bible study, but where's Pastor Dick? I didn't see he and Susie here. Why aren't, why aren't they here? Like, I'm in prison. I'm being tortured. But why aren't they here with me to share my torture and misery? Oh, we have a leadership meeting tonight. Oh, man, I don't want to go to a leadership meeting. I don't even like half of those people. Hey, come to our church and be miserable like us. That's the new Living Stones t-shirt. Come to our church, be miserable like No, 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 God forbid. 
We're not going to be a sour church. So why is it that happy has almost become a curse word, almost a sin in church? Well, let me give you a couple ideas here. First of all, I think we have a warped view of an angry God, a God who's gloomy and depressed and he's a tyrant. And let me just say this. We talked about this last week. It's in the Word of God. The Bible says that God is both good and severe. We said if there's one thing that God is angry about, it's sin. And can I ask you why God is angry about sin? What does sin do? It destroys our happiness. It destroys our happiness. But can I suggest to you that God's anger against sin is a blip on the radar screen of human history? Because in eternity, can anybody think of anything God's going to be mad about? It's going to wipe away every tear. From, are you with me? Is God going to be angry in heaven? No. He's dealing now with brokenness and sin and injustice, and there is a side of God that demonstrates anger towards all those things because he hates what's evil. But isn't this amazing about God? You know, at this, I, I can be looking in the newspaper or reading reports on the Internet or whatever, uh, listening to the evening news, and I can be angry about injustice. But that anger does not overwhelm me and rob me of life because I have perspective. Guess who has perspective? God has perspective. God can deal on this level with injustice and pain and sin and demonstrate holy, righteous anger towards what is evil. And then he can rise to the 40,000-foot level and go, but you know what? I have a plan to work all this out for your good and for my glory. So it never, ever, ever puts a dent in the happiness of God. In fact, how about this one? Here's here's another challenge. What about Jesus, though? The Bible, Pastor, the Bible says Jesus was a man of sorrow, acquainted with grief and suffering. Does it not say that? Absolutely it does. So check this out. This This is part of the reason why we worship Jesus. How could one human being be acquainted more than any other human being with all that grief and sadness and suffering and yet at the same time be the happiest human being that ever lived? How does somebody do that? Because I don't know about you, but when I get hit with sorrow and suffering and grief and injustice and pain, it zaps my joy many times. Anybody, am I talking to the right crowd? But this is what Jesus said. For the joy set before me, for the joy set before me, I'm going to endure the sin of humanity being placed on me, and I am going to face the cross. Isn't it amazing that the one divine attribute that carried Jesus through on his assignment was joy? What got him through the cross and to the cross? The fact that the joy of God was in his heart. How about this? I'm I'm just messing with you here a little bit. How about what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 10? We are always happy even in times of suffering. How do you do that? I've seen Christians on planet Earth that are going through intense suffering, and they're not walking around, hey, praise the Lord. They're not that airhead kind of happiness. That's not what I'm talking about. But underneath the pain and the injustice and the momentary confusion is a supernatural happiness in God that carries them through life's darkest times. And I'm trying to help you all out here. When we're going through the darkest seasons, that's when we need to press in cl- as close as we can get to the source of joy which is God himself, because we have to fight for joy. That's why Nehemiah says, the joy of the Lord is my strength. When I lose my joy, I lose my strength, and I lose my ability to go on. 
Can I encourage you? Some of the best medicine you need during the hardest times in life is to laugh. There are times Marion and I, we get together, my kids leave. Why were you guys laughing in the bedroom? We heard you laughing. <laughs> we're not going to tell you, but we're going to keep laughing. <laughs> we're going to keep enjoying each other. We're going to keep making each other crack up. One of the, hey, ladies, one of the best things you can look for in a man is a sense of humor. We all should be able to laugh at ourselves. And sometimes we've even sat on the bed in our darkest moments when everything was going wrong, and we said, let's just laugh because the devil's a loser and God's in charge. It doesn't look like it now, but all we can do is laugh. We can either be depressed and kill ourselves or laugh. So let's go with the latter. It seems like a better option. And when laughter comes in is when perspective comes in and when your spirits get lifted. Sometimes when you're in your darkest moment, the reason you need to come to church is because somebody else can make you laugh. And you need somebody to make you laugh and to help you get perspective. So this incomplete view of Jesus is because Jesus' sorrow is only associated with his work of redemption. And guess what? The work of redemption is coming to a close. Jesus is coming back. It already came to a close on one level on the cross. It is finished. But he's moving towards the redemption of all things, the renewal of all things. It's a momentary blip on the radar screen of Christ's heart. Let me just quickly add that God's happiness does not mean that somehow he is indifferent to our pain and suffering. If I know that Sherry D is dealing with a a crisis right now. Let me just say, there are a lot of you in this room that have gone through very difficult things. You're still working through it. You're processing through the grief. God bless you. We just want to help you. This isn't what it's saying. Oh, God's happy. God, I'm really in pain right now. Hey, don't worry about it. Just be happy. I am. See ya. That's not how God responds. That would be a terrible pastoral response, right? But how many of you know you can't jump in ditches with people and die in the same despair and depression that they're in? That's not helpful. Let's all just jump in the hole and feel miserable together. I thank God we're a part of a church family because you know what? I've been down. I've been out. I've been under it. And thank God I had brothers and sisters in this room that said, come on, pastor. Let's keep believing God. Come on, pastor. We need to worship. Come on, pastor. Let's press into God. Come on, pastor. Let's go have a hamburger and just laugh at each other. Uh, That's what makes us sane. And that's what helps us get through. So this isn't like God saying, oh, I'm happy all the time and it stinks to be you. That's not what's on his heart. All right. God cares about our suffering. Last thing here, can we get rid of our twisted view of holiness? Pastor, what is our twisted view of holiness? How about this? If God is without sin, who's the most holy? God is. And if God's without sin, then why do we expect holy people to be long-faced no fun, boring, straight-laced, sit down, shut up, obey kind of folks. I mean, my gosh, sometimes you come to church, you see the elders. Elder is just synonymous with being older and more miserable longer. <laughs> Not us. Not us. Hey, smile louder then. Smile louder. I got to see it. All right, there you go. The most holy being by definition and simple logic is the happiest. And the happiest is the holiest. And can I, I'm going I'm to blow your minds here. 
I'm going to throw out another church cuss word. What happens when we get together? Ready for this? Should be fun. <laughs> this should be the best kept secret in town. Like, can't wait. It's so much fun. <laughs> but again, we're Christians. Sorry. No fun. But just hang on because someday you're going to die. You'll be given a pair of designer wings. You'll be given a harp. But I don't know how to play a harp. Shut up. You'll be given one anyway. <laughs> and you're going to float around forever singing your favorite praise song. And it's going to be fun whether you like it or not. So hang in there through all the trials of life because someday you get to be miserable in a perfect environment longer. <laughs> Some of you are going, what is he talking about? Yeah, I know who you are. You're the folks that were raised in a healthy church where people actually laughed and loved one another. But trust me, there are a lot of folks out here that know exactly what I'm talking about. Because holiness had to do with all kinds of external things when God is just saying, hey, if you just smile, it would really help you out. If you could just release some joy. I, I would even show up with you. I mean, how do you, you invite God to church and God's like, eh, no, I'm happy. <laughs> I'm happy. I'm not sure if I'm going to show up there. Oh, you go to one of those churches when you worship. It's like entertainment. Entertainment is synonymous with fun. Do you actually have a guitar? Oh, 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 oh. I'm having fun right now, but anyway. A.W. <laughs> Tozer said this. I'm wrapping up. The people of God ought to be the happiest people in all the world. Yes. People should be coming to us constantly and asking the source of our joy and delight. If you believe that, just say Amen. I'm not saying that you're there yet. That's okay. We're all work in progress. But how many of you believe that should be true? My lovely wife, she's never, you know, she grew up in a Christian family. She met the Lord when she was seven, baptized in the Holy Ghost. I mean, she's lived a wonderful life with wonderful parents. She's been, she's been sheltered from a lot of things until she married me. But anyway, she, uh, uh, great, great life. I'm kidding. So anyway, she goes to minister to women uh, that are incarcerated in Lake County Jail. She's like, Lord, what do I say to these people? I've never, I've never lived that life. I've never experienced their pain. I've never gone through their hurt. Who, who am I? What do I say? And then she comes out of the prayer room. She says, you'll never believe what I got from God. I'm like, what? I'm supposed to go in there and tell them, do they really want the good stuff? Do they really want the maximum high? Because I'm a dealer, and I can help them out. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, say What? In fact, she didn't tell me what she said until afterwards. These ladies were like, what? What do you got? And she's, and she's selling it because she's walking in it. They're like, yeah, we want what you got. Give me some of those pills. How much are those pills? And I mean, she's going on and on. And what she's telling him is, look, what I have is Jesus. It's what you've been looking for. Go to that next slide, if you would, Jim. 
can go into some of the greats here just to show you I'm not a heretic. There's other heretics in the body of Christ that have said the same thing. Charles Spurgeon, I think you all heard of him. The God of salvation, the God of the covenant is to be worshipped with joy. He is a happy God, and he loves happy worshipers. Here's our responsibility when we come here. I realize sometimes you come here and you feel like somebody just dragged you out of hell and there's not an ounce of joy or hope in your heart. And let me just tell you, when you're at that place, you are welcome here and we love you and we'll encourage you and we will breathe life into you and we will fight for you, all right, because that's who God is. But can I just tell you what our goal should be every Sunday by the time we leave here? That the joy of God would be percolating in our spirits. And better yet, get the pot percolating the night before, so when you come here, you actually bring the joy of God with you. And you know what happens? This is a joyful celebration of our amazingly awesome, happy, holy ruler. And here's my, here's my vision. You know what? If I'm pursuing Jesus, I'm going to be more fun to be around 10 years from now than I am now. I know that's, I know that's hard for you guys to imagine. My kids are going, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but you know what I'm talking about. How about this? If I'm more like God, my wife should enjoy, enjoy laughing with me and spending time with me 10 years from now more than even now. In other words, shouldn't the quality of our relationships get better and better and better? And let me just tell you, I'm going to give you a starting point here. I told myself, you know, because here's the deal. My kids would come up to me and say, Dad, are you okay? I really was okay, but I'm a processor. Any of you guys processors out there? Sometimes when you're in deep thought, your face does not show that you're happy because you're thinking. Like for simple guys like me, I can't be happy and think at the same time. I mean, <laughs> I got to focus. So my kids would say, Dad, you know, are you, are you all right? I'm like, well, yeah. Are you mad, Dad? Are you upset? No, I'm okay. But my face was not communicating. Now, I'm doing this for you guys, too, because you'll get much better preaching if I see happy faces than just some of you processors. Hello. Hello, two things at once, multitask. So I started telling myself this. I am going to consciously smile. See, I ran for office twice. We get the, hey! (laughs) And then I come home and my face needs like hands laid on it for healing because my cheeks hurt so bad. See, when we get to heaven, we're going to get a glorified body. I think our cheekbones are going to be like, our cheek muscles are going to be like as big as our thighs. Imagine that. <laughs> we'll be able to smile forever and ever and ever. But honestly, I started, I started consciously, consciously telling myself, smile. So I go to the bank. Lord knows there ain't nothing to smile about. <laughs> Hallelujah. Making my deposit. Pay my bills. Hallelujah. Go to the grocery store. This is wonderful bread, isn't it? <laughs> but what happened? What happened was this. It starts becoming more of a lifestyle. And then people start going, man, you're so happy. I'm like, yes, I am. Getting happier all the time. Isn't it simple? I mean, I, you, ha- putting a smile on your face is a choice. It's not that hard. Started going to basketball game. You are just one of the happiest people I ever met. Thank you. <laughs> but no, I want people to go happy, godly. Happy, what do you do for a living? Happy, 
What church do you go to? Happy? What drugs are you on? Whatever it is, it's an opportunity to witness. But this isn't complicated, and I, I want you to have a theology for why we do this. This should be the most joyful, happy, fun place on planet Earth is the gathering of God's people. Now listen, is it always, woo No, sometimes as a church family, we go through difficult, painful seasons. But even our, in our pain, even in our pain, aren't you glad for kids? Thank God for kids. We had a funeral in here one Sunday. The, the body was right here. After church, or after the funeral, we went in and we're celebrating the person's life and celebrating Jesus' goodness. And somebody comes to me and says, Pastor, you might want to go in the sanctuary. What? It's, your, it's one of your kids. What? I come in the sanctuary, and Jason, it was Jason or Johnny? Oh, Johnny, my youngest. Johnny is riding his bicycle in a figure eight loop all around the sanctuary with about 15 kids chasing him. And the casket right here. I said, what are you doing? What are you doing? And he's like, what? Did you know this is the coolest racetrack in here that was ever invented by human beings? I mean, aren't you grateful that kids bring a whole different perspective even in the midst of some of the hardest things? I mean, the best thing to do when you go to a funeral is bring a child, bring a newborn baby. Because it reminds us of the bigger picture. So I'm trying to tell you this. There's going to be moments when we have calls for repentance, and repentance isn't something that's light. We're going to re- remind on Good Friday of the suffering of Jesus. We're not all going to be going, woo You know, no, it's a time to reflect on this. But how many of you know there's an undercurrent of joy that sustains us through everything? And can I just tell you this? If Jesus is not happy, then he does not have the power to conquer everything in this life that will separate us from him and from joy. And listen, if God doesn't value happiness, he will not be able to deliver on his promise of heaven. He won't be able to deliver. So my hope is this, and my confidence is this. God is happy. He loves me. When I come to him, he's smiling. When I talk to him, he likes my voice. When I bring him my garbage, he's grateful to take it because he gave me his son to die for me. And he believes in you. He loves you. He sees who he created you to be. The Holy Spirit, what does the Holy Spirit do when you get baptized? What did they say about the folks on the day of Pentecost? These people are a bunch of drunks. Have you ever been around a happy drunk? They thought they were drunk. Oh, no, you're just full of the Holy Spirit. But what does Jesus say? Hey, don't be drunk with wine that leads to all kinds of wicked things. Instead, be full of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is the joy of God released in our hearts. Ah, oh, this is such good news. God's the foundation of everything. God is great. God is good, and he's happy. I like this series. I might have to listen to this series again and again and again so that it gets down in my spirit. So this is what I'm trying to tell you. When you wake up in the morning, be like my son Joel. Joel, when Joel would wake up in the morning, he'd come into our bedroom, wake us up, which was not a cause for happiness, but you get the point. And then he would say this, Dad, Mom, 
I waked up. <laughs> Most of us need a pot of coffee before we can even utter a syllable. Imagine waking up every day. I waked up. I mean, you know, that kid's going to go somewhere with his life, all right? That's, so here, here's what I did this morning. I waked up, and I sat up on my bed. I said, God, I thank you. You're in charge. You're the foundation of reality. You're on your throne right now. God, you're great. Nothing's impossible for you. God, you're good. And God, you're happy. Now help me live that way today. See, this isn't just, this is a nice sermon. No, connect the dots. Be good this week because your God is good. Be happy this week because your God is happy. Hey, be great this week because the God in you is a great God. Stand to your feet. I want to pray for you guys. Let's ask that we get a baptism of happiness and joy on our lives this week. Come on, Jesus. Come on, Jesus. And I want, if our worship team is in the house, we're, gonna, we're not going to have you stay as we worship, but we're, we're going to worship our way out every week, uh, just giving God glory. If you need any kind of personal prayer, come on down here. Don't forget marriage class today at 4, and don't forget we've got our quarry meeting for anybody with a, that's in leadership, but also anybody with a heart for leadership. How about lifting our hands like a, a loving son or daughter to the Lord, and let's just ask him for a fresh baptism of joy in our lives. Lord, we want to be like you. We want to be like your son who was anointed by you. Oil poured over him. It was joy over his life from the top of his head to the soles of his feet. Lord, I pray that heaviness go today in Jesus' name. Discouragement go in Jesus' name. Lord, those that are fighting through the cords of grief that are trying to pull them down, we sever those cords in the name of Jesus. And Lord, we ask that anointing of happiness to be poured over this church. Lord, let living stones be synonymous with happy, loving, faith-filled people. God, may this place be full of laughter. God, thank you for a foyer where we can sit around and connect with one another and tell stories and share our lives and drink coffee and eat bagels, and we can crack up and have a good time, God. I pray that the strength that comes from joy would fill the hearts of your people. Lord, those that are struggling right now and feel like the weight of the world is on their shoulders, may the joy of the Lord be your strength. May God fill you and surround you with people that will fill you with laughter. God, bring healing to our hearts. Bring life to our hearts. Bring blessing to our people, O Lord. And God, as we leave these doors, I pray we would leave with a smile on our face, whether it's a smile in faith or whether it's just overflowing. But God, may the people we run into today see on our faces what it looks like to encounter Jesus. Lord, thank you for this privilege. We love you and we honor you in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen. Hey, we love you. Go in the joy of the Lord.